Hi, I'm Jeff Mason, publisher of Transport Topics. This week, we're proud to publish the 2015 edition of the Top 100 list of the largest for hire motor carriers in the U.S. and Canada. The TT Top 100 is one of the most anticipated features of the year for our readers, and I'm pleased today to be joined by TT Senior Features writer Dan Berth, who will talk about the list and the state of the trucking business today. We'll also be talking with Bob Costello, Senior Vice President and Chief Economist of the American Trucking Associations about what carriers are doing or not doing to expand capacity. We will also ask Bob to discuss the driver shortage and what the future holds for the economy. Our program also includes a Skype interview with Ben Cubitt of Transplace, who will tell us what shippers can do to make themselves more carrier friendly. And it includes your participation too. Many of you have already sent in questions that we will be addressing, and we welcome your questions during our live show as well. You can send them by email to share at ttnews.com, or just enter them into the comment box that appears on, these, on this article page. Our thanks today, our show is to, uh, sponsored by U.S. Bank and PC Miler. So first, let's get a brief overview of the 2015 Top 100 list from Dan. All right, thank you very much, Jeff. Um, the Top 100 list is, is uh, always interesting uh, to see. Uh, and uh, this year, um, there's a couple companies uh, that are, I think uh, many people might find surprising uh, to see on the list. Uh, and the first is uh, XPO Logistics. Um, uh, this is a company that a few years ago set out to consolidate the logistics industry and uh, uh, has ended up uh, owning um, a lot of trucking assets. And uh, they ranked number 14 on the list this year. And uh, uh, they were not even on the list last year. So it tells you that things can change pretty quickly. Uh, but XBO is, um, has made a number of significant acquisitions, including Bridge Terminal Transport, which is a big dredge carrier uh, that was on the top 100 itself last year. Uh, New Breed Logistics, Pacer Intermodal, uh, and uh, 3PD Incorporated are some of the other companies that they've acquired. So. Uh, what's interesting about XPO to me is that they are uh, not only uh, consolidating logistics industry, but also trucking. So I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see, hear a lot more about that company in the future. Um, a couple of the companies uh, I'd like to mention uh, include uh, Dasky Incorporated, which is a holding company for a bunch of uh, flatbed carriers. Uh, and they made one of the biggest moves on the list this year, going from number 59 a year ago to number 49 this year. Um, and uh, if you're a reader of TT, you, you, you will perhaps re recall the story in the paper this week, I think, from my colleague Jonathan Reiskin about D Dasky, uh, in which uh, they are uh, saying that they want to be the largest uh, flatbed carrier in the country. So uh, they're number two right now in that, that sector. So um, a third company um, worth uh, people taking notice of, I think, is a company called DICOM Transportation Group in Canada. This is a, a company that started out as a, an expedited carrier and has made some acquisitions in the U.S. and uh, uh, be, uh, is listed for the first time this year at number 92. Um, another trend that we see on the list is one that we've seen uh, in years past, and it's uh, consolidation. So. Um, uh, FedEx Corp is one of the companies that has made a significant uh, move uh, by buying up um, Genco, which is a, a major distribution company. And uh, they've also uh, have an, a bid for uh, acquiring TNT Express in Europe. So the significance of this, to me, is that we're going to see now, I think, even more competition between the top two carriers on the top 100. That would be UPS, of course. and and FedEx. Um, with these acquisitions, FedEx is um, more aligned uh, with uh, uh, the services that UPS offers. And I think you'll see those two companies go head to head in uh, many uh, areas in the future. 
Um, a couple of the companies that are also active in the consolidating the industry uh, include uh, Transforce, um, which is the uh, Montreal-based um, conglomerate that uh, made three acquisitions, uh, and all three of these companies were on the top 100 in years past. <clears throat> so they're making <clears throat> big acquisitions, uh, uh, the, and for, for Transplace, those acquisitions uh, were Vitran Corp, um, Transport America, and Contrans. Um, a couple of the companies, uh, Jeff, I'd like to mention include Forward Air, which uh, made a purchase last year of Town Air Freight to consolidate its position in the air freight sector. It also pushed Forward Air's revenue over a billion dollars for the first time uh, this year. Um, it's worth noting, I think, that uh, a total of 35 companies on the list uh, reached uh, the billion dollar revenue plateau this year. That's up from 30 a year ago. So companies are getting bigger and getting more capable. Uh, but um, uh, most people feel like there's a lot of consolidation opportunity left in the industry. So. Um, uh, when you add up the revenues for all the top 100 carriers, uh, it, it is more than $200 billion. Um, uh, and that's up 7.4% from the year before. Mm. So. Great, Dan. Thanks. That's a great overview and a great way to kick off the show. What we'll do is we'll ask some questions now, and I'll direct those to both Bob and to Dan. Uh, first one, back to you, Dan, is what carriers what are carriers doing to squeeze more capacity from their operations? Yeah, Jeff, uh, what we found in talking to carriers this year is that it's very difficult for them to, to grow capacity because they're limited in the number of drivers that they can uh, hire. Um, so what they're doing is they're looking at their operations and uh, they're changing, the, if they can, the delivery schedules. Uh, to extend the times that are available for delivering freight or picking up freight. This makes it much easier to schedule uh, trucks in and out and keeps those trucks moving. They're looking for ways to reduce uh, the delays that are associated with loading and unloading. Um, and this keeps, uh, of course, drivers uh, from waiting, uh, which is unproductive time for them. Um, and what you're seeing there is uh, the imposition of uh, detention fees uh, if drivers are held up for more than one or two hours at a time. The third thing that their carriers are doing is um, uh, handing off more freight to other carriers. So they're becoming a little more selective, or I should say a lot more selective, I think, in, in the kinds of freight that they haul. They're looking at where this freight is going, how it affects the driver, you know, is it uh, something that uh, uh, can be easily accommodated uh, without holding up drivers. Uh, and they're looking on uh, for freight on a lane-by-lane -lane basis. So, you know, in years past, uh, companies would, I think, tend to take on all the freight that a shipper offered, whether some of it was good and some of it bad. Now they're looking more specifically at uh, what freight they can realistically carry and, and be efficient at doing. So there's more. Um, interaction between shippers and carriers on that issue. So, um, but uh, uh, as I said at the outset, uh, uh, a shortage of drivers will continue to crimp capacity and, and probably the best quote I, th I think I got that kind of illustrates that is, uh, is from uh, Russ Gottmuller of Continental Express who said, for him it's easier to shrink than to expand right now. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. Carriers are looking at how they can uh, right-size their, their fleet and their business to um, fit the uh, availability of drivers. Good deal. So. Excellent, Dan. Thanks. Bob, we've got a couple of questions for you. Um, first one is, uh, please comment on the economic outlook and how that may affect capacity issues for carriers. Sure, sure. But first, let me uh, congratulate both of you, and especially you, Dan, on the uh, TT Top 100. This is something that uh, I keep on my desk all year round and refer to it often, so well done. Um, so the, in terms of the economy, 
Uh, in a sense, we, we got lucky here, or lucky. Capacity has loosened up a little bit here early on this year. It's still tighter than it was, certainly in you know 13 and 12 and so forth. Not as much as, as 2014, uh, but it's really just a reprieve because the economy has you know slowed down uh, in the first half of the year. In the first quarter, we saw GDP contract a little bit. Um, that loosened things up. In the second quarter, I suspect uh, uh, GDP grew a little over two percent. So uh, not nearly as is as strong as it had been in the last three quarters of um, of 2014, and that loosened up capacity a little bit. But I do think that's all going to change. Uh, I think there are indicators that um, suggest that the economy can grow closer to three percent in the second half of the year. And if we look more specifically towards the trucking industry and what drives freight, uh, we've got some good things and we've got some not as good things, right? Um, on the good side, you've got uh, housing starts going to grow over 10% this year. That's over 1.1 um, million new starts. Uh, consumer spending is going to accelerate. Uh, if you look just at real or inflation adjusted consumer spending on goods only, because that's what we put in trailers, um, it'll grow close to 4% this year uh, versus a little less than 3.5% last year. So we see some things quickening. Now on the sort of downside, you've got factory output has slowed down after growing nearly 4% in 2014. I suspect it'll you know, grow closer to 2% this year. And in fact, this morning, the Federal Reserve announced that uh, in June, uh, production was flat. Right? So, and, and what's driving that? In part, it's the stronger dollar. Right, um, and as the dollar um, uh, has has um, gotten stronger, that means it's more difficult to export, and and therefore um, it's one of the factors, a large one, why um, factory output has uh, has slowed. The other thing that concerns me for the time being is um, the level of inventories throughout the supply chain. We actually think um, a correction is going on, and when that happens. Um, you see truck freight volumes uh, slow down. So as the whole entire the entire supply chain reduces their inventories relative to sales, that's the key. You know, our inventories are always growing in dollar value, but we look at it relative to sales, um, and it's gotten quite high, by the way, the highest in this recovery. And so therefore, the supply chain is working that off. That's going to suppress volumes. So long-winded answer to say, first. First half of the year hasn't been that strong. Capacity still tighter than it had been a few years ago, but certainly loosened up from where it was. I think that's a short-term deal. I think that the economy will um, accelerate some. Uh, 16 looks pretty good to me. So I think capacity is going to tighten the further we get out. Excellent, excellent. Thanks for that outlook, Bob. And, and I'll come back to you here and ask you another question. Can you update us on the driver shortage? and how it's affecting the ability of carriers to add capacity. Uh, sure, and you, and you nailed it right there. I mean, um, as Dan said, uh, it's all about the drivers. Every, every fleet I speak with, they, they typically, well, they want to increase um, capacity. They can't find the drivers for it. And so as you said, Dan, and I see this all in the numbers all the time, um, you know, they're right-sizing to the number of drivers they can retain. And during the economic downturn, we saw fleets right-sized to the amount of freight that was out there. Now they're right-sizing to the number of drivers they can keep. So as a result, um, we've seen capacity in the truckload space. Uh, essentially, it's down 0.2% this year. Um, it was down over 3% last year, right? I mean, um, everything, even though tractor sales have been strong, right? It's all about replacements and, and so forth. So, um, so that has been all around the driver. So what's the driver shortage going to do? Um, unfortunately, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, in, uh, today, we're short probably in that 45 to 50,000 drivers. We'll have a report coming out later this month that uh, gives a specific uh, uh, number and then forecast that. But uh, it's getting worse. It's not getting better, even with uh, a little bit of a reprieve in, in the economy today. And, um, and, and that means, you know, you don't need an economist here to tell you. you you've got a limited supply and demand will pick up. It means uh, wages are going to go up. And, uh, and they're going to, and we've already seen it this year, even in the first quarter, um, you know, uh, despite the economy not being, being very good and volumes not being very good, we, a number of fleets announced 
truck driver pay increases. Um, so that leads us to what's going on with turnover. Now, funny enough, turnover has been quite high um, in the mid-90s for the truckload uh, carriers. Um, uh, although, if you go back to 2005, 2006, it was actually much higher, around 130%. But for this cycle, it was high and in the mid-90s. In the first quarter, we saw a reprieve. It, it slowed down or went down to mid-80s. I have to, and we reported that yesterday. Um, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> I was a little surprised. I suspect just the way the weather was and yeah. freight was that drivers just weren't, you know, skipping around uh, carrier to carrier as much as they normally do. I wouldn't be surprised if that number goes back up. So, at the end of the day, capacity, as, as Dan said, and I agree, it's all around the driver um, and the inability to add equipment. And Bob, thanks. You, you covered this a little bit, but speaking of 2005, 2006, that was the last time we really had a, a serious shortage of capacity. Uh, how does this environment or this this environment compare to 20, 2005, 2006? And I'll address it to either one of you. Well, from my perspective. Um, I said the driver um, turnover was higher back in 05 and 06. I suspect that was more around things like CSA and so forth. Uh, excluding that, and, and, and we're probably in a new era, you know, new level of turnover, I think this is much worse. Um, you know, it was bad then, it's worse now. And, um, and uh, if you look at it, I mean, Back then in 0506, I think we pegged the um, driver shortage about 20,000 drivers. Today, it's you know 45 to 50,000. So, mm -hmm. from my perspective, it's it's much worse, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Dan, would and you agree with that? Is that any yeah, comment? I, sure, I do. And I I think what's different about the environment we're in today is that uh, there are things which are uh, reducing the productivity and. Uh, utilization of equipment, the productivity of drivers and the utilization of equipment that maybe didn't exist uh, mm -hmm. before. So um, uh, if the economy remains relatively strong, you know, I think we're looking at a prolonged period of, of capacity constraints. Uh, you know, you can't, to me it's interesting to, to see that historically, um, these periods of tight capacity don't really last very long because mm -hmm. obviously the incentives are, exist to expand if you've got more demand than you can handle, right? And prices are going up. This should encourage expansion, but I think uh, this time it will be much more difficult for everyone to offer more capacity um, for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And so we're looking at a prolonged period of constraint. And, and you're exactly right, Dan. If we look at uh, one of the measures I look at on a monthly basis is miles per truck per month. And, uh, and that obviously fell during the downturn, no big surprise. You got you know, less productive with your equipment and so forth. Um, and, uh, but what's different this time is that number has been stagnant, mm -hmm. okay? And it's a whole bunch of things. It's regulatory. It's the supply chain, um, and so forth. It's drivers wanting to get home more often. I don't blame them, and and so forth. But the reality is, they're not getting any more miles on their truck each and every month, and uh, and that goes right to your point, Dan. They're not really. There's other ways they can be more productive, but it's that is a big limitation right there. Uh, let's let's move on a couple more questions we've got some viewer questions we'll get to here in just just a moment uh, this one uh, back to Bob with shippers asking multiple carriers for capacity what's the best way for carriers to evaluate both the supply and demand for freight hauling yeah well certainly um, that happens you know uh, shippers today are I think a little little sticker shock sometimes when they, they go out in the marketplace and, uh, and we saw what happened in the spot market last year. Spot market rates were up 15%. Um, uh, average revenue per mile this year is still growing. It's grown about 3.5% this year, excluding fuel surcharges. Um, and, uh, and even the spot market rates are, are up a little bit. So uh, shippers, I think, are going out there, talking, trying to see what they're doing. At the same time, so are fleets. Mm -hmm. Fleets are looking to uh, get shippers that fit well in their networks, that um, help their average miles per truck per month. Um, and, and so forth. So um, I think it's, it's probably good on both sides to reevaluate where they are. 
although I will say I think it's uh, uh, if you had to pick a side which is probably in, in you know sort of in the the place of dictating uh, terms more than the past it's probably uh, on the fleet side um, and they're being much more selective um, and, and Dan brought up a, a good point earlier and we see this in our numbers as well um, fleets are you know it used to be just a handful of fleets had sort of logistic services where they would then farm out freight to which um, didn't you know fit with their trucks uh, and now so many more fleets are doing that and um, and so forth and, and and related to that a bit is in terms of capacity you know I talked about the inability to, to add capacity one of the interesting things we found is fleets have added a little bit of company tractors. Um, I went back and looked at this compared <coughs> with where we were in January of, of 2014 and where we stood in May of this year. And what I found was um, they were able to increase their, their company tractors about 3%. The difference is their I'm sorry, independent contractor numbers fell almost 5%. So now some of that's probably independent contractors moving into a, an employee situation, getting rid of their truck and going right. on and becoming an employee. Uh, but certainly this talks about the challenges out there. So not only are shippers having a problem getting capacity, but even fleets, I think, are struggling on their logistics side mm -hmm. to match up with, with outside capacity outside of their, their own tractors. Mm -hmm. right. Jeff, could I maybe add one point to this? What I've heard from a number of people recently is that um, you know shippers are uh, many of them have core carriers that they rely right. upon but uh, they're finding that uh, those carriers are declining more loads uh, than they have in the past so so now they're looking at adding more carriers to their um, process so that they have choices right. uh, I don't know how that's going to play out because um, um, one of the problems uh, you know, carriers uh, and shippers have is predicting you know, the, the, the amount of freight that um, is going to be available to them. So, um, but I think um, shippers are looking for um, uh, alternatives uh, and they're, so they're shopping uh, around more and more for, for freight hauling capacity. So, Okay. Thank you, guys. Um, why don't we ask, we've got a question from a viewer, Matthew Frankel. Uh, I'm not sure who Matthew is with, but uh, I'm going to address this to Dan and ask, uh, over the next 12 months, how much capacity in percentage terms do you expect to be added or reduced for the four-hire truckload market? Uh, <laughs> that for Bob? That's, that's really for Bob, not for me. Uh, I have no idea. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I can't put a specific number on it, but let's think conceptually about this. and. That is, um, obviously, they've struggled to do it so far. You know, if we go back and we look at capacity numbers uh, over the last couple of years, uh, the, the truckload carriers have not added to their tractor counts on an annual basis since 2012, right? And, and in fact, in 2014, they reduced it by about 3%. And some of that was right-sizing. You got trucks parked on the, along the fence, and you can't get drivers for them, so why do I have them? Let's just get rid of them. So I don't, I'm not suggesting that was all usable capacity. But my point is we haven't added since 2012. And, and it goes back to what we've been talking about. It's, it's all around the driver and so forth. With that said, I do think there has been a little bit of success with some pay increases for drivers. Um, you know, getting and retaining drivers is more than just pay, all right? But that is the natural market reaction to the shortages we had discussed earlier. So again, that was more on the company side than the uh, independent contractor side. But they've had a little bit of success there. Hopefully that will go, you know, build a little bit. However, with that said, if I'm looking back 12 months from now, if we're lucky, we've added, I don't even think you can add a half a percent. Wow. So we'll have to see where that goes. But I think it will be a struggle just to maintain where we are. When you look at all, you know, both company tractors and independent contractors, and I th I'd say if we're out, you know, 12 months from now and it increased at all, I'd say that's a success. Right, right. Speaking of retention, Bob, we have a comment from a viewer, Tracy Caffrey. 
with a motor carrier. She says, my biggest challenge is finding qualified drivers. There are plenty of drivers, Lord knows, they change jobs quite frequently. Carriers don't want to save or help what they have. Maybe if they change their way of thinking and practices, they find it costs less to take care of what you have than to keep replacing them. So speaking of retention, uh, I think, Tracy, you're, you're absolutely right, and we're seeing a lot more retention policies coming into play, whether it's pay, equipment changes, uh, rerouting. You know, it, it really is about keeping the drivers that you have, and, and I think retention rates are, are probably increasing. Is that Well, is that right yeah, on? we saw in the first quarter that it came down from high levels mm -hmm. to you know, turnover at mid-90s to mid-80s, still very high. Um, but I would agree that... Um, fleets are spending more time on this, um, but this is this is the free agency of trucking. I mean, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Um, let's be very clear: turnover is churn, not people. Yes, people do leave the mm -hmm. industry, but the vast, vast majority is churn. And in fact, we've looked at this: if you can keep a driver for 90 days, those turnover rates drop in half. All right, so it is literally folks just going from carrier to carrier. I'm not saying the carriers are innocent here, that they need to do things to, to help retention. I believe they are doing some of that. They have more to go. Um, but when you're a driver and you have a good driving record and you're in such high demand, and I don't know, you don't like the way your, your company's customers are treating you, it's easy to just go right down the street and get another job. And so this is what I tell shippers all the time. This is not just a trucking industry issue. This is a supply chain issue, and everybody needs to treat drivers better. Excellent. Excellent point. Um, Bob, kind of back at you, we're talking about turnover rates. Uh, one question is, what can you tell us about turnover rates, and do you see a change in the pattern of driver turnover? Well, getting back to the first quarter, I want to wait and see if that holds. That moving from you know mid 90s annualized turnover rate to mid 80s um, on the truckload side. By the way, LTL had nine percent driver turnover. Um, so much different. You know, the drivers are generally paid more. They're home more often. They don't jump around as much, um, and so forth. Um, but I'm going to withhold judgment on that first quarter number until I see whether or not that sticks. Because if it does, we'll have to figure it out. Uh, because obviously something happened. Yeah. I still think it was a lot of weather. I think it was it was just factors. Uh, with drivers, especially when the economy picks up in the second half of the year a little bit, and in 16, the way we look at it now, it could be a really good year. There's going to be a lot of pressure on drivers, and that means drivers can jump from company to company, get these sign-on bonuses, mm -hmm. get those sorts of things. And so I would not be one bit surprised if turnover creeps back up. Good. Jeff, could I inject yeah, maybe a quick question for, for Bob? I'm curious about it. Um, I, I, I think a lot of carriers are, are being more selective about the drivers that they yeah. keep, too. So we're seeing some drivers getting pushed out uh, and into other companies just because maybe their CSA scores aren't good enough uh, and their uh, companies, shippers and carriers, are more conscious uh, of this. Um, and what we're looking at the next few years uh, at the adoption of electronic logs. Right. Uh, and uh, many people expect this to um, uh, cause uh, more people to leave the industry uh, and worsen the capacity rate. Do you have any thoughts you know, about that? Well, let me go back to your first point. And, and what I talked about earlier on when I said turnover rates were you know, 130% back in 2005, and, and they were high at 95% in this cycle. What's the difference? And I think um, uh, it's what you're talking about. I think there's some, ca some drivers that don't jump ship as much as they used to because of uh, carriers are being more selective in, in their drivers. I also think there are more drivers today uh, or have been over the cycle that get pushed out of the industry. Um, and um, and what we call that non-voluntary departures. And, uh, you know, you could have upwards of, you know, 10 to 15,000 drivers needed every year because, you know, um, drivers were pushed out of the industry uh, in, in that regard because of, so I think that is uh, one point. Second, on terms of uh, ELDs coming into effect, uh, something that ATA is very much supportive of. Um, you know, I, it certainly doesn't help capacity. It doesn't help 
Right. I mean, it's not adding to capacity, right? Mm -hmm. Although, you talk to fleets, and after they have um, uh, certainly uh, have them after a while, and you get used to them, you can start increasing. You match up drivers with freight better, and and so forth. But there is an initial sort of drop, not necessarily because all drivers are cheating. That we right. know that's not the case. Uh, it's just because you're getting used to new systems and and so forth, and and so. But once um, but once you get used to that, I think you can see a boost back up. Um, However, we do know that there is at least a small percentage of people that um, ha you have a little bit more flexibility, I guess, if you will, with the uh, paper logs. And so it's not going to help, um, uh, help uh, capacity in, in with drivers and so forth. Although, funny enough, you talk to, talk to fleets, and, and when they first put them in voluntarily already, the drivers are like, don't you dare put those in my truck. And after yeah. they have them for a while, don't no. you dare take them out of my <laughs> truck, right? So, um, so anyway. Good point. Thank you, Bob. I'm going to uh, stop a moment and just uh, let remind our uh, viewers that uh, a couple things. One, if you have any questions for today's panel during this webcast, you can email them to us at share at ttnews.com uh, or enter them into the comment section that appears on that particular page. Uh, I'm Jeff Mason. I'm publisher of Transport Topics, and I'm joined uh, by Dan Berth senior technical writer for Transport Topics, and Bob Costello, the senior vice president and chief economist for the ATA, the American Trucking Associations. And we're here uh, discussing the recent release of the annual TT Top 100 for Hire Carriers, uh, which is a highly anticipated list with lots of information uh, available. So you'll be getting your copy soon, and it'll also be live on the website very, very shortly. Um, with that said, we have a couple more questions, and then we'll get to our Skype interview. Um, this is for Dan or Bob, but will technologies such as mobile apps have an impact on driver productivity and equipment utilization? Dan, I know you've written yeah. about this. Uh, what would be your comments there? Yeah, the answer is yes. Um, as I said earlier, shippers and carriers are trying to better match uh, freight with capacity, and uh, mobile apps... Um, and um, TMS systems are giving, uh, pro are providing the data that makes that possible. So and I think we're at a very early stage in terms of adopting and seeing these systems uh, being actually employed. So um, um, I, it, it's something that will definitely be needed as we go forward in terms of helping fleets uh, uh, move more freight with the existing equipment they have. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. We have several related uh, questions from viewers around technology, and one Lucius Stephen asked, what technologies are small carriers willing to invest in to compete with larger carriers? Any comments, Dan, through your writing, interviews? Uh, well, again, I've, I've been impressed uh, with, you know, the availability of mobile apps and other uh, forms of, of uh, computer technology that um, make it possible for a, a guy, uh, an owner-operator perhaps, or a small fleet to access information about uh, loads, uh, manage his business, uh, and do some things that give shippers visibility to the freight. Uh, these are things that big carriers can do now uh, and handle payments and, and all that sort of thing. So the extent to which that is available to the small fleets is uh, definitely going to, you know, level the playing field for them and make it possible for them to, to grow and succeed because frankly uh, I think the industry right now is relying upon these small fleets and owner operators to provide the additional capacity we need in the market so anything that helps them um, manage their business better is, is a positive for the industry. Well I think in terms of the small carrier too um, related to that is had we been having a discussion 18 months ago, it would have been about all the fleets we expect to go out of business, right? Mm -hmm. um, fuel prices were high. You had um, fleets with old equipment. They were getting nickeled and dimed to death on that. Those, those trucks were less fuel efficient on higher fuel prices. And we were talking about expecting a lot of companies to go out of business. But in 2014, 
small fleets were thrown to lifelines, right? They were given uh, the drop in diesel fuel prices and the surge in spot market rates. Mm -hmm. And what, ha what did they do with that? Well, they invested in new tractors, mm -hmm. continue to do that. They're paying drivers more, and then they're doing things what you're talking about, getting into more technology. So we have completely flipped from talking about these small fleets going away, or not going away completely, but a lot of them going out of business to now they're not only doing it, they're thriving. Right. And uh, it's been a very interesting, and again, those two lifelines of the drop in fuel prices and the surge in spot market rates helped them immensely. And, and I think we'd agree, Dan, to your point, technology is leveling, leveling the playing field for yeah. these smaller fleets to be able to compete and uh, be just as productive as, as some of the larger fleets. Uh, moving on, we've got a couple more questions, and then we'll, uh, we'll let Dan introduce our Skype interview. But uh, D.W. Spear out of South Carolina uh, asks, will smaller fleets stay competitive in two years with compliance to all the regulations? Do we have any comments there about small fleets' competitiveness? Dan, you uh, want to well, tackle that well, one? Well, I think we've kind of hit it on mm -hmm. hit that point already, but um, um, the the regulations on particularly on electronic logs, I think, is something that uh, small fleets will um, have to deal with and mm -hmm. adjust to, and that could um, make it more difficult for some of them. But um, there are other trends that are uh, that are making it easier for these guys, and if rates stay up. Um, um, it, it sh they should be able to um, survive, I think, and do fine. Yeah. Bob, would you agree with that? Uh, I would agree with what Dan says. <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, John Adami asks, in light of the operational trends we're discussing, can anybody make any projections regarding 2016 Class 8 truck builds? Well, I guess I'll look at, you know, I, I do think, and I don't, I don't forecast specific numbers, but conceptually, I think this year will be the peak year in terms of uh, Class A. And we're seeing in orders mm -hmm. have been falling, right? That's not a surprise. And this was the catch-up effect, right? We, we went for years, especially we talked about earlier, a lot of these smaller fleets had not invested. They were at a competitive disadvantage. You got the surge in spot market rates. You got the drop in f diesel fuel prices. And, and now, all of a sudden, they can afford to reinvest in their equipment. And that's exactly what they're doing. And they're rejuvenating it. At the same time, you've had larger carriers try to keep that differential in age, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of large fleets that have an average age of less than two years. Mm -hmm. they, like, they like that, um, and, uh, and they use it as a recruiting tool and so forth. With that said, I do think we probably hit peak this year in terms of next year will still be strong, mm -hmm. um, but I don't think it will be as strong in terms of Class 8 truck builds as it, as it is in, in 2015. Okay. Uh, we'll move into part two. Dan, I want to ask you a little bit about your story this week. Um, you quoted many carrier executives uh, in the industry, many of which uh, we all look up to and, and want to know what they're talking about in the industry. Uh, what are they saying uh, or talking about as far as expanding? What, what did they tell you? Yeah. Um, um, ex expansion uh, for most carriers is uh, in organic. In other words, um, uh, they're trying to work with their existing customers to, to, to handle more freight. Um, acquisitions uh, remain a big focus for a lot of fleets. Um, um, and, uh, and they're trying to improve the efficiency of their operations as we started out talking about um, what can you do to reduce the delays uh, in picking up and keeping your trailers and trucks moving. Yes. You know, and related to that, Dan, and, and I tell shippers this all the time, exactly what you said. You want to expand capacity, get, get drivers in and out of your facilities faster, right? And that instantly increases capacity, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so uh, you know, detention uh, time or waiting and detention time, that's, that's one area we can make some improvements in. Yeah, good points. And, uh, Dan, it's obvious that shippers have a big role to play in helping fleets to provide capacity. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that, how, the, how fleets are working with shippers to add capacity? Yeah, sure. Um, um, uh, one of the comments I got from a, a fleet executive, this is uh, Jim Richards at KLLM, was that uh, uh, many shippers now understand that it's in their best interest to become uh, uh, the shipper of choice for a carrier. So, um, so what can they do? Um, uh, 
to improve the, uh, the handoff of freight and, and to make things more efficient for the carrier. Um, so um, uh, along those lines, um, we spoke with uh, Ben Cubitt at uh, TransPlace, um, uh, who did a survey of carriers to find out exactly what the things were that make the most difference uh, in this regard. And I think, if, I think we're going to play a little bit of that interview right now. We're interested in the, the work that TransPlace.com has done uh, to survey motor carriers, asking, ship, uh, asking them what they want and need from shippers in order to make their freight more appealing. Um, could you tell us what you found out? Uh, what are the most important things that a shipper can do to make themselves uh, more appealing to motor carriers right now? Uh, what was key to the drivers, what was key to the carriers was productivity, uh, dwell time. You know, do you keep, it, it really all boils down to a lot of detail around it. Do you help me keep that truck moving? Because if I keep that truck moving, I'll make more money, the driver will make more money, and that's really key because we're talking about an industry uh, where drivers largely are not paid by the hour, uh, they're paid by the activity, so if they're not moving, they're not making money. Uh, you know, I think another thing you've done is some work on helping carriers design scorecards for shippers. Um, am I right? Yeah. Can you talk a little about how these things, how a scorecard is, should, could be set up and what it measures exactly? Yeah, so I, I would say we've had a lot of discussion with carriers about it. Um, I still think, and this is one of the things we talk with carriers about individually and we talk about in our carrier conferences, I think most carriers or a lot of carriers still don't bring as much data to the discussion as they could. You know, if you contrast the railroads, the railroads will come meet with a shipper and they're going to have all sorts of information, you know, how profitable the lane is, um, you know, how what the dwell time is, they're going to talk about their capital investments. They're really going to educate shippers on what's going on with their industry. The LTL guys have had a lot of data. The LTL guys can come in and say, hey, you're operating at this level, or, you know, we need some help, or, you know, th those lanes are not good for us, but the others are, so net-net, your business is okay for us. But truckload carriers have really, for a lot of reasons, have not had that level of detail. Uh, more and more are, I would say it's, what our, what our research showed was probably about 50% of carriers have a shipper scorecard, and it may be formal or informal, um, so they kind of know how, how shippers rank, um, but it's very rare for them to share it with a shipper. So, um, you know, getting ready for this call, I talked to a bunch of carriers again, and, you know, it's almost unheard of for a carrier to give a shipper a scorecard. Now, um, we actually have some customers who want us to help them develop a scorecard that they then go out to carriers and share. But I think to this point, carriers have been, truckload carriers have really been reluctant uh, to kind of formally score their shippers. They may informally share some data, but um, you know, that whole leverage, the, the leverage has been on the shippers end, and I, I think carriers have been a little reluctant to share a scorecard. Yes, hello again. Okay, yes, thank you. Um, um, I thought it was very interesting to hear Ben talk about how railroads uh, are, are doing a better job than trucking for the most part in communicating uh, with their shippers in terms of uh, data that they need to help make decisions about uh, freight. Um, that's something we can improve upon, I think. Um, and it reminds me that, you know, in our coverage of the, uh, the story this year, um, uh, a number of, of executives have told me that this, um, that negotiations over uh, uh, delivery uh, issues are, are probably going to be the, the one thing that uh, you're going to see a lot more of. In other words, you're not going to just be talking about rates anymore. You're going to be talking about uh, what you can do. Uh, in terms of improving the, the, the loading and unloading situation. So detention fees will play a big part in that. And that's a question uh, that I put to, to Ben, and we'd like to, to run his response to that uh, right now. One more final question. You, you talked about detention fees a moment ago. How commonplace are they right now, and do they uh, uh, 
are they uh, effective in terms of uh, forcing um, change or in uh, decreasing the delays that drivers have? And uh, on the same token, uh, do you see carriers that are paying drivers for waiting? Um, yeah, those are, those are both great questions. I, that's, I, I think it's important to look at both sides of that. So um, we probably see detention. Um, detention is ineffective, but it's the best thing we have. So the reason I say it's ineffective is, is most shippers have a pretty active effort to refuse detention charges. So in other words, they, they make it most shippers make it somewhat difficult for the carrier. You know, um, I know when I was a shipper, we, we would try to have contract terms that limited detention. We would um, require prior approval. Um, we would, you know, ask for documentation that you called us when the driver was detained. And, and all those, the shippers aren't necessarily trying to be unfair, but they, they have to show their due diligence. And so it becomes this real tug of war between the shipper and the carrier for most instances. So, you know, some shippers, I, I would put shippers in about three categories. There are a few who've put active programs in. So they, they it's cut and dried. When you arrive at a supplier or one of their facilities, you go on the clock and, you know, for every, every amount over X, and some just paid attention, everything over 15 minutes, some over two hours. Uh, but they'll pay detention and they've really they've really i think done the right thing where if there's detention they pay the carrier and then they use that in a scorecard against the supplier or the site to say hey you cost detention and we had to pay it we, we're not going to do that that's still far and away the exception most people fall into one of two camps which they almost never will approve detention and so the carrier has to decide whether to fire them or not if it gets severe enough or they they make it somewhat difficult and and I'm, I'm probably overstating it but but you know it becomes this approval process that some shippers make very difficult some make medium difficult and some some play it pretty i guess pretty straight up but but it's a uh, i think most carriers would tell you that um you know they they have to do a combination of filing for detention and possibly firing the shipper if it gets severe enough because they know they're going to have a uh, a difficult approval process often. That was Ben Cubitt with Transplace, and we want to thank Ben for, all, for sharing uh, through Skype uh, on, on this particular broadcast. Uh, Bob, I think you had a comment on, on what Ben was speaking about. Yeah, well, just generally about uh, detention time, we, um, we looked at this issue uh, late last year, and uh, what we found is, and if you go back historically and look at this, you wouldn't have found numbers like this, but um, upwards, uh, well, depending on the, the sector in the truckload space, uh, but you know, you had irregular route truckload carriers, 92% of them pay their driver's detention time. On average, it was after two hours, and it was roughly in the 12 to $15 an hour pay. Now, since then, I've heard of a number of carriers that have gone from two hours to one hour. So whether or not they're getting it from their shipper, mm -hmm. right, they're certainly paying it to the driver. And it'll depend, you know, tank truck isn't as high, it just depends on the type of operation. But certainly in that dry van space, um, uh, flatbed, refrigerated, uh, there's, you know, 85 to 95% of carriers in that space are now offering detention time. So this is very different than had we've seen this even back in, you want to talk about difference between 05 and 06, I would say this is a big difference and that they're yeah. paying drivers for waiting time. And really what this is about is, as I said before, getting those drivers out of the facilities so that that's a way of increasing capacity within the current confines of the number of trucks you're operating. Great. Thank you, Bob. Um, uh, I'm Jeff Mason, publisher of Transport Topics, and we're here today with Dan Berth, Senior Features Editor of TT. Uh, and author of the uh, always popular uh, TT Top 100 for Hire Carriers, along with Bob Costello, Senior Vice President and Chief Economist for ATA. Um, our broadcast today is sponsored by U.S. Bank and PC Miler, so many thanks to those companies for uh, helping us underwrite this program. Um, We'll move forward now to some more questions and comments from our viewers. Uh, there's one, this one's for Bob. Uh, Mike Reed asks, 
what's the estimated driver shortage in the LTL industry five years from now? Bob, you've been working on a report to provide new estimates of the size of the driver shortage. What can you tell us about that? So um, we'll, we'll come out with a, with a report later this month but um, and give an exact number and so forth. But historically, the driver shortage problem has been an over-the-road truckload problem, right? And, and if you go back and look at that, that's what it was. The difference, another difference between 0506 and today is that problem is now expanding out of truckload into the LTL and private carrier space. Um, do they have it as bad as truckload? No, not at all, right? Not even close. However, the fact that they have a problem, you can, there are private fleets out there that are paying $70,000, $75,000 a year and can't seat all their trucks. I mean, that is astounding to me. So why is it worse than before? It's because it's no longer just a truckload problem. It is an LTL issue. Not nearly as bad, but it's, it's now gone outside of the truckload space. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and this one's for Dan. Uh, Prasad Galapali asks, what's the one thing that could change the availability of capacity without the need to add more trucks? Dan? Um, I guess it goes to, uh, back to the issue of speed uh, and uh, increasing the uh, velocity of, of trucks and, and uh, eliminating the delays that experienced drivers. That's the number one thing. Um, you don't mean driving faster. No, no, not driving faster. Um, um, but maybe this is an opportunity to, to make another point uh, that I found in my coverage this year, which is, you know, um, a lot of fleets have, have uh, tried to convert uh, uh, their company's um, uh, drivers to, to owner-operators uh, uh, through a lease-to-own program. And um, I found a couple fleets that have actually had great success in increasing their capacity uh, through these programs. But the, the track record for these programs are kind of mixed. Um, and the, the key to making them work seems to be uh, having a, a, a good uh, financial arrangement that is arm's length, that where the company doesn't have a, a conflict of interest in owning the vehicle and also controlling you know, what happens to that driver afterwards, and having a good support system within your company to keep those drivers busy. So, um, you know, we've talked about owner-operators as being a source of additional capacity. Um, this seems to be, uh, you know, one way you can do that, um, but you, um, carriers, I think, need to be careful about how these systems are designed and uh, to make sure that they, that the drivers can succeed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Bob, the lawmaker has offered a proposal that would require drivers to be paid by the hour rather than by the mile. Do you see any signs that the industry will change the way drivers are paid? Any comments? Well, I think that you've said it right there. I think the misconception is that all drivers are paid by the mile. That is not the case, mm -hmm. right? And uh, a, a majority are. I'm not saying they're not, mm -hmm. but I, that that. The people out there think that all drivers are paid by the mile, and that's simply not the case. We looked at this issue, and uh, let me just give you a little bit of data behind this. Um, first of all, we asked fleets, how many different types of pay packages do you have? Now, this is not bonuses. This is not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about base pay. And only a quarter, only a quarter of fleets said that they pay drivers one way. Right? Um, three quarters of fleets say they pay drivers multiple ways. And in some cases, the driver can pick how they want to get paid, right? 43% um, of carriers said that they pay two ways. The most common two ways would have been per mile and hourly, right? So right there, you know, only a quarter of fleets said that they actually do that. Now, if you look at um, the percent in different areas of the business, uh, the percentages of paid by the mile, uh, uh, for example, let's take the one area where most of the drivers are paid by the mile, and that's national truckload irregular route 
dry van, mm -hmm. right? I mean, those are, that's really the, the, when people are new to the industry and so forth. A majority of those, you know, upwards of 85% of those drivers that we, that for companies we uh, surveyed, I should say companies, uh, pay by the, uh, pay by the mile. But 15% said in that arena, it, they do pay hourly. If we go to flatbed, uh, we had um, a fair amount um, that pay hourly. But amazingly, in the refrigerated sector, uh, we even had upwards of 8% of fleets say the primary way they pay drivers is salary, hmm. right? So I think uh, point number one. Point number two, some of these uh, public policy folks think that it's safer not to pay by the mile. And they'll point to LTL carriers and they will point to private fleets. But the reality is a majority of the over-the-road LTLs and a majority of private fleets pay by, pay by the mile, okay? So that's not the case. Yeah. Um, so, um, so anyways, I, I think there's just some real misconceptions in that. And, uh, but fleets are looking at this. This is whole, this is part of the old, you know, the entire, we can't find enough drivers. How do drivers want to be paid? And it, and it does vary significantly between types of operations. But believe me, fleets are looking at this. Right, right. And I believe, you, as you said, you have a report out that's available. It is. Uh, if they just contact the ATA website and it's uh, the uh, 2014 driver compensation study, and, and, and it is in there. Those numbers are in that report. Fantastic. Dan, any, any questions on there? Um, John uh, Lensmeyer asks, what is being done to bring new drivers into the field? Specifically, what conversations have we had with large shippers to help them realize that this is an issue and a concern? Well, I think one of the uh, other misconceptions, uh, in this driver shortage report, we're gonna, we talk about how many new drivers we need every year, and it's in, you know, uh, it, it's over 80,000 new drivers every year to replace. The number one reason why you need is retirements, by far. That is mm -hmm. the largest. Then industry growth, and then people leaving the industry before they're retired and so forth. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. I deal with the uh, truck driver training schools quite a bit. And if you go look in, the, um, uh, in those schools and see the folks in there, um, yes, you have 21, 22-year-olds, but you also have a lot of 40-year-olds. And I think as an industry, we need to do a better job of showing that uh, to people that whose careers may not be going where they, and some other careers not going mm -hmm. the way they want it or they, they can't get in that career more that, you know, 80, um, uh, you know, upwards of 95% of truckload carriers pay vacation time and offer life insurance and 98% and offer health insurance. I mean, it's not... It, it's not an easy job, but it is a job where, um, you know, a, especially in the truckload space, not necessarily in the LTL or privates, non-union workers get great, get very good benefits. And I think we're not doing a good enough job as an industry selling that. We're improving. We've got image campaign stuff. Right. We're doing other stuff. But that's a that's something we can we can tout out there and 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 hopefully attract more people. Now the challenge there is you build 1.1 million new homes, you need more people to build those and uh, and that's where we are this year. And so there are more alternatives out there. Right, right. Um, a related question we had from Mike Bridgman asked, why is no one trying a national hiring campaign with the media to entice new hires into the industry? And I'm, I'm reminded of there is an ATA partnership in working with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce on a program called Hiring Our Heroes. And ATA is committed to hiring over 100,000 drivers, new drivers, over the next two years. Um, this is an initiative that's targeting veterans returning from overseas. And many of the ATA member fleets that we know are, are very involved in this. Uh, CR England, UPS, Transport America, Conway, Maverick, and many, many others. So there are some, in, some initiatives in place to try to recruit new veterans to come into the industry. Um, and, and Bob mentioned also a, uh, a trucking image campaign. Many of you are aware of the uh, Trucking Moves America Forward campaign, 
which has been uh, in place for about a year now, and it's uh, been developing dollars to, to do just that, but create a positive image uh, in many sectors of the country to try to paint the trucking industry as the safe, reliable, and great industry that we are. Uh, so we hope that that campaign over time will, will also uh, improve the idea of becoming a driver in the industry. Um, any other final wrap-up before we, we close up? Um, I just I want to thank our guests today uh, and also let people know that um, uh, before we wrap up anyway, uh, I wanted to let folks know that the information here will be on the website. Uh, we'll, we have a new and improved website this year. It's a much more interactive uh, list that, that is available when you go to ttnews.com. And we have company profiles, uh, very interactive details, and, and we're very excited about that. So if you go to ttnews.com, uh, you'll be able to, to assess that. Uh, many, many thanks today for Bob Costello. Uh, for joining Dan and I for, uh, and also along with Ben Cubitt of Transplace uh, with us via Skype. Please tell your friends and colleagues that what they missed, uh, and this will also be replayed very shortly, will be available on our ttnews.com site, uh, as well as YouTube. So once again, our sponsors for today's Live on Web were U.S. Bank and PC Miler. Many thanks to, to those organizations. Uh, we've created a special circulation offer for those new to transport topics, and we'd like to, you to take advantage of it. Uh, please head on over to liveonweb.ttnews.com forward slash subscribe, and you'll, uh, you'll be receiving a special offer. And after the broadcast, make sure to visit ttnews.com slash top100 slash for hire to download the complete list and experience the new interactive components that I mentioned about uh, earlier. I'm Jeff Mason, publisher of Transport Topics, saying thank you and we appreciate your uh, watching the show. Take care and have a great day.